Chief. Every, yeah. every slight downturn that's, that I've ever experienced in New York, it goes down and then when it turns, it is just takes a left turn and it's gone. It's exploding right now, exactly. <clears throat> I've, heard of, I've been dying to ask you, where do you do this from? Like, this is so gorgeous where you are. Is this- <laughs> I told you. <laughs> That's his palace. That's his palace in Manhattan that he has. This he gets a palace home that I have is all due to my wife, who is extraordinary. So. Happy wife, happy life. Roberto, that yes. is you. Somebody where, do you where do you live in the city? Uh, 75th Street in Columbus. Oh, 75th nice. Street is the prettiest block on the on the Upper West Side. There are better nice. ones. <laughs> no, not really. The, there's incredible. not. The, the townhouses on 75th Street are 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 the most beautiful on the Upper West Side. Okay, now that we've gotten Roberto's apartment out of the way, I think <laughs> I think now that's the beginning of the show, as it is most weeks. It's Sean, your basement looks good too. <laughs> <laughs> we've already heard Richard Ferrari say it's a miracle and a half, and we've heard Roberto say it explosive. So, uh, what a better way to start the show. Um, this week, our 22nd episode, uh, I am just so tickled to have these two guests on at the same time. Matt Leone, who I've known for quite some time as the chief marketing officer and uh, the guy on my speed dial who I call every time I need anything whatsoever. And Bess Friedman, one of the most innovative and powerful women in real estate I think Matthew says you're in seventh place, but you're climbing the ladder. Uh, <laughs> She's on my speed dial and I call her anytime I need anything. <laughs> Thanks, Roberto. Thank so, you so much. Uh, so I'm so tickled to have the seventh most powerful woman in real estate on the show today. Um, maybe we can get number six next week, Roberto, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. I am so excited because I think I've been thinking about this show, this conversation, probably for a year because I've, I've wondered, I guess, ever since I joined uh, Halstead, why don't we get together? And so I was so happy when we did, when we got together um, and became such a force in the New York real estate market. So I guess that's my first question is, can you both talk to us about what it means to be the number one privately held agency in the New York market? Matt, do you want, I mean, I, I'm trying to be polite. Do you want to go? Well, first? I know, Bess, you can start us off. I'll finish it. You know, I think that it's, uh, you know, we're really fortunate to be privately owned and to be the biggest, um, but we still kind of have the heart of a small mom and pop company. I mean, Rich would tell you that, um, even though he disappeared, but we, you know, we get, we have a lot of roadway, which I think is special to us. We don't have to, we don't have, you know, shareholders that tell us we have to do certain things. We have complete freedom and flexibility to build the company that we believe in. And so that is something unusual in this environment. And it's really, it's just fantastic for us. I think we're special. We set ourselves apart from everybody else in that way. Um, and we care about the brand and, the, and our agents and what we do. And we're a luxury service real estate company. That's what we do. 100% morning, noon, and night, 
we don't sell candles, we don't sell sofas, we are a real estate company, you know, doing it at the highest level. And so that's really what it's about every day. And, and I love it. And I really love working with everybody too. Yeah, I mean, Best says it perfectly always is in, in terms of, you know, luxury service. It's, it's not that you're necessarily, you know, defined by your inventory that you represent, but if you're defined with the level of service that you get. You go to that five-star hotel, you know the difference in service that you would get with that hotel versus every other hotel. It's the same with working with a Brown Harris Stevens agent is that we have high standards. A lot of people say you graduate into Brown Harris Stevens. I think there is great truth to that statement. And, and it's because they know how to handle deals. They know how to handle clients. They know how to handle those relationships. And that's what we do. We try and foster them you know, grow them, build them, and, and know that the size of this firm is, there's a, there's a very deliberate reason why we are the size that we are. And, and you're, you're big enough to compete against the big box franchises and national brands. You, you have the reach to compete against them, but you're still small enough to have that boutique feel that you can have best your CEO and your CMO on a call like this that you have access to them, that you know their name, that they're attainable. They're not located in another state that you will never see or meet. We have the ability to be bespoke at the same time as compete with a, with a reach uh, with every other firm that's, that's, that's competing against us, regardless of how, how international or national they are in scope. So what I hear you saying is it's important to get to critical mass but it's not the size is not the only thing or even the most important thing. It's not important to be the biggest, it's important to be big enough. And we are big enough. Is that what I hear you saying? Well, I think there's advantages to both. I mean, the problem that you face when you get too big is that you dilute and, and you become siloed and you, you, you operate uh, to survive. And, and, and when you're too big, then, it, then you lose who you are as, as a personality and a culture. That's something that we still can maintain with the size that we are. Um, it's still something that you, you go down to Palm Beach, you go down to Miami, they know who Bess is, they know her well. You go to you know, any area of New York City, they know you well. They, they, they know the leaders well. They, they, there's camaraderie within the director groups. That's something that's important that you maintain when you are not that grand national scope is that we're, we're large enough where our leadership can lead all markets and not say, I can't handle this one. I'm going to pass that on to someone else. There's, that, there's, there's one vision, there's one direction, and you all move forward at the same path. Uh, the, it, it is quite intimate is what I find, you know, uh, the fact that I can reach out to Bess and to Matt at any point in time. And I feel like, you know, someone's kind of got their, just put their hand on my shoulder and there's an intimacy there, which would be completely lost in a much larger organization. In fact, when I first joined the firm, Roberto said, you should call Bess. And I said, I'm not calling Bess. Oh no, you should definitely call Bess. I'm not calling Bess. John, just pick up the phone. And so really I didn't believe it. And, uh, I did eventually, but it took it took weeks of Roberto poking me in the shoulder to to get me to 
to actually, you know, try. Because I was, I thought, oh no, you don't do that. There's a big corporation, 2,300 agents. If all 2,300 were, were calling up Bess every time they had an idea, um, <laughs> yeah, where would we be? But that didn't come no. out of vacuum either. John is a serious producer. He knows the business. He knows what he's talking about. And I said, you are someone she needs to be aware of. She needs to know you, you know? And sure enough, you know each other very well. And it's like, you, you know, there's the relationship. So, I mean, look, nobody's bigger than the job. I mean, you can't put the title and whatever it is. Like, we're here to do a job, to work with everyone, to learn from you, to get to know you. I want to know, when I know agents' names, when I walk in the office, I love it. I want to know everybody's name. I, I want to be, I'm here to help. That's why I'm here. You know, it's not for a title. It's not, we're ne you can never become bigger than the job. You know, it's just, that would be really, that would be terrible. That, that would defeat the purpose. So I want to segue a little bit to the strategy. I watched the Real Deal interview oh three years ago, and they said, uh, you're, in, you're in Miami, Palm Beach, and New York, and the Hamptons. Are you going to the West Coast? And you said, there is, we have no plans to go to the West Coast. That would be dilute, dilutive to the brand. How do you feel about it now? But you were a 500 person firm then with, with 150 year roots in New York. How do you feel now? What's changed in three years? Well, listen, a lot has changed. And I think, I don't know if I said dilute. I just think that the West Coast, it's not something we have, have had our eyes on. You know, it's just, I, I want to be able to go there, be a part of it. I think it would be a challenge for us. We might get too big, um, but we've changed a lot because we've come together now with Halstead, uh, which has been great. And so we've grown in other markets like Connecticut and New Jersey and the Hudson Valley. And so that's been fantastic for us and it works. Um, but, you know, California is not something that we've actually seriously looked into. We have good partners there with Hilton and Highland. We love, um, sorry, my phone is ringing. We, we love Jeff, you know, Jeff Highland, he's fabulous and he, we work closely with him, but we want to like be, we're on the East coast right now. It doesn't mean we wouldn't consider another location if it made sense. We looked at Aspen not too long ago, uh, but you know, right now we're in a good place and we're willing to grow organically when it makes sense. So we have, we've gotten a lot bigger. We're 2,500 agents now with 53 offices. So we're a big place. Um, and we're growing and in a good way, but slowly, you know, we want to have quality, not quantity. So one of the things that we're here to talk about is about branding. So how does brand, how has branding, what, how is the approach different from what we were to what we are now and kind of where we are now with COVID and everything that has changed? What has, what has, what has it evolved into? Well, look, Brown Harris Stevens 1873 old school firm considered a little bit, you know, like a law firm and conservative. That was the perception. And so that was good, you know, especially when we, do we dominate the high end. But then Halstead coming in, Halstead was fresher, younger, a little bit more fun and innovative. So now we are a new Brown Harris Stevens, always maintaining the quality and the brand, but a little bit edgier, some more risk. We're doing some new internal and external marketing. We're working on that right now. You guys are going to love the campaign. Um, but you can't, culture and brand can't be static. They're dynamic. 
And I, and I always want change. Like Matt yesterday was texting me. I want, what do you think about changing how we advertise? I said, hundred percent change it. It's already old. Let's do something new. That's quality. So that's how we're coming together, Roberta, with something new. And as we have new agents, you know, it changes that's culture. So it's been exciting for all of us really. Can you talk Matthew, uh, about some of that risky stuff? Can you give us a scoop today? What are you thinking? Well, I, I think when, when it comes to risk, I think you also have to look at it as um, what is what is going to make most sense within what Brown Harris Stevens wants to be to the consumer. And, and what Brown Harris Stevens wants to be to the consumer is, is that, you know, when you look at us, Real Trends ranks us highest average sales price achieved per agent is that a consumer trusts us with their most important transaction and they see us as the one that will be able to deliver on that. So you don't want to get so risky per se where people will lose that trust. It has taken many years for us to, to build up that trust in a lot of our markets. So I think a lot of our risk is going to be more in in the avenues and the mediums that we use, not necessarily our messaging per se. Our messaging is that we've, we don't have to arrive. We've arrived. People know who Brown Harris Stevens is in the established areas that we are. And the areas that we're building up our name in, like New Jersey and Connecticut, we have a great campaign coming out that's going to get that, that more out there in front of people. But the, the good news is, is that in the areas we are in Connecticut and New Jersey, we already or, or at the top or near the top in market share leadership, we, we own the luxury in most of our towns and, and they trust us already. So I don't want to get risky in our messaging. I want to get risky in saying, all right, let's try this, this medium. Let's go, um, let, let's go try something a little bit that we're not used to going with and, and, and explore those and see the return on that. I think that's where our risk uh, level goes, not necessarily, you know, saying something that's risque per se. Okay. <laughs> we have already arrived. I mean, like on the Mayflower, we've been around that long, right? So We have arrived, that's for sure. So yeah. Matt, how do you perceive the difference of the company branding versus a broker or team branding within that? Like what's the differentiation and how can it be optimized? Well, I think, well, we ought to look at it in, in this grand scope is that Brown Harris Stevens is a brand and we are a brand that every agent uh, values and uses in their marketing. But at the same time, every real estate agent is its own business. Every real estate agent is their own CEO. And they would like to have a little bit of, you know, uniqueness and, and, and something that separates them not only from the other agents out there in the industry, but also the agents that are within their, their brokerage. So that's where we sometimes like to do some, you know, sort of custom logo, uh, you, know, you know, branding placement for the agent. We also like to have custom messaging strategy where we work with our copywriters to come up with messaging that's within the Brown Harris Stevens sort of uh, ver verbal identity, but still allowing them to have some uniqueness to what they're doing. We love to have videos that shoot, that, that talk about the agent bio uh, experience. I know that Roberto years ago, we worked on an amazing video with you that spoke, it didn't even have any words in it, but it spoke so high about who you are and the, the energy you bring to 
uh, your clients and, and how quintessential New York you are. You know, you're, you're someone who, who raises a family here, lives, works here, and is all about New York. We accomplished that within your brand within a minute video. And it was done flawlessly. It was done in a way that people still remember three, four years later. I remember a good friend of mine went to the movie theater, saw you in the movie theater and said, I saw your firm at, in a movie commercial and I want to work with that guy. Uh, and and it, that's what it is. It's not easy. I, I think he worked with you already. We'll, we'll talk after this to see if it worked out. But I, it, it's about being within Brown Harris Stevens, uh, you know, branding, but, but finding your niche within that. I think it's very important in today's day and age that, that we are in the Madison Avenue of, of marketing and, and branding in New York City we have to act like that. We cannot act like Main Street. Uh, we have to raise our level of, of what we deliver for our clients, which are you, the agent. So I want to talk now about a little bit about the marketing in, uh, in, in, di in very different markets. I think the situation in Connecticut uh, certainly in Rhinebeck and the Hudson Valley, Miami is too little inventory. And yet you have a very different uh, set of issues in New York City right now. So how is the marketing approach uh, addressing both of those phenomenons? Sorry, my son, we met, I'm sorry, my son just was, will you respond to that? I don't know what's going on. Take him one second. Um, yeah, no, I'll, uh, I think the, the, the thing that we have to look at is, is when you are in a low inventory market and you push something live, you know, you, you likely, if you market it properly, are going to have an enormous amount of interest in that home. So in doing that, you have to make sure that you prepare the home for sale. It needs to look perfect when you bring it to market. Because if you handle that right from the first onset, you're in contract in a day or two. You know, it's, that's the market that we're in right now. But if you don't present well initially, you know, you might you might be lingering or you might lose that initial impact. So, you know, you know, declutter, you know, amazing photos. I think a big thing that you have to do in the suburbs is a twilight shot as your primary shot leads to 30% more initial traffic. That's something you need to do immediately as well. Do a 3D walkthrough because people are buying sight on scene. Do a 3D walkthrough so someone wherever they are could walk through your home in seconds and, and make an offer because they know that someone's probably knocking on your door the second it goes live. So they want to even the playing field. So allow a bigger buyer pool by doing the 3D walkthrough or maybe a video that tells the emotional story of the home. So that that's more, I think, the way that you handle marketing uh, in the low inventory markets that we're in right now and the suburbs and the vacation areas. All right. Can we talk about how branding is, uh, I have this I have this give and take with John all the time. John's all about, these are the facts. All of this stuff is knowable. Why is everybody getting so emotionally involved? And I, my personal opinion is, at least in New York, people come to New York, they're emotional people. They're driven, like I, I have, I've had sold fewer apartments from facts and data than the people that are like, I want that. That is what I want. And I think that branding 
should be, especially when you're doing, and that's why you're doing property videos now. You're not just talking about facts. You're, go, you're walking through and you're doing something different. You're appealing to their emotion. So tell me that branding has, it's about triggering that emotion. Because for New Yorkers, I, everybody's here is emotional. I mean, I can't walk down the street without somebody, you know, hey. But don't you think that the business that we're in, real estate, is an emotional, I mean, it's, I always say that it's an emotional commodity. I mean, think about it. What we do is tied to people's existence. You know, a home is essential, whether you rent or you own. It's not like buying a new car. It's something you must have. And it's not a transaction unless you're an investor, but if you're going to raise kids there, or you're going to, you know, have your first home there, or maybe your parent passes away there, it's a very connected thing that they need. You know, people want to trust someone and that's what we do. We build that with them. I always say trust is the stacking of small moments over time. And that's what trust is. And that's what we all do. So what we're in the business of is highly emotionally charged every day, all day, unless you're like selling off plan and you're on site, it's a little bit different. But here with what we do, we're dealing with homes for the most part. And so, and New York City is, you know, very, you know, crazy and chaotic, but yes, it's very charged in that way, Roberto. I agree with you. I think that we're not, it's not an emotional purchase. It, clearly it is. But once you've bought, once you've decided, I really want that house, I like that house, but what's the right price? It's a little bit harder out in Connecticut than maybe in a apartment building to evaluate what the price is. Because in an apartment building, you have many like apartments, you know, you have the whole A line to compare it to. Uh, we have less data. There's only 102 houses for sale in New Canaan right now, uh, down about 65% from normal. So there's very few uh, uh, to compare it to. Um, and so I think part of that trust is to talk to an agent who can get you comfortable with the numbers. I mean, once I've fallen in love with it, now I want to know that I'm not overpaying. That's right. You're right, John. On the selling side, um, you know, I, I, I want to know that I'm not giving away my house, this house that I've spent my whole life, you know, investing in and building. So I do think that there is a very important component to the brokerage relationship that you know your stuff and you know your pricing. Oh, 100%. You have to have stuff to back it up. And look, our market is very efficient. If your price really low, I assure you're going to have a lot of bids and you're going to know that. And if your price too high and there's crickets, like Roberto, we were talking about before, the, then you know your price too high. And so the market works in that way. But you need to say, okay, based on these comps, that's why I think it should be priced this way. You can't just say, well, kind of looks like, you know, you need to, you have to show them something. I want to know why you think so. Not because you got it. You need facts and you also need emotion. You need all of it. They hire Roberto based on his videos, right? Those flashy New york -y videos. But me, you know, they want, they want me to do my homework. And that's very important. John, we, I do tremendous homework. I always say, look, here's the data. Here's what it's worth but you have three other people who want it. And this is might be what it, this might be where you have to be in order to get it. Do you want it? You know, it's that type of. So how important Roberto or Matt, do you think that it, it is changing dynamic that the importance of picking the broker and versus picking the firm? And it really gets to the heart of the whole hours conversation about the brand. Oh, I like this broker and I think he knows his stuff, but I don't think he's supported 
by a world-class agency. How important is that? Is that coming up? Is that why we're winning business? Is it why some agents lose business because of the support of a world-class, the perception that you have a big enough platform uh, behind you? Well, I think if you look at what this industry is, Hall Wilkie always says it, that this is a relationship business. And relationships are driven through interpersonal communication and connection. So it's the agent that connects with the client. It starts there. It's, it's very rare that someone is going to say, I'm only going with the agent because of the brokerage that they're associating hanging their license with. But it doesn't hurt. Because if it's apples and if it's apples and apples and it's not apples and oranges and it's it's going down to what that brokerage is going to provide in terms of service that's backing up that agent that they've connected with, yeah, then the brokerage does matter. But it, it, it let's 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 call it what it is. This industry is not a technology industry. It is a relationship industry that you want that person who's going to work on your behalf tirelessly to get you the best price or the best home at the best price um, so that you can raise your family or live your, your next stage of your life. You know, there's nothing more important and we've seen this in the last year than, than the home that you live in. It, it, it changes the way you think, your, your, your stress level, uh, it, 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 it's everything to you. And, and this person is gonna be able to deliver that for you. So it's about the person, it's not so much about the brokerage. I think you need, it's good to, if you have, I mean, ideally you want to have a solid, you need a brokerage that's solid and you trust and has a good name, but it is always about the person. And typically, you know, buyers and sellers are going to follow their agent wherever they go. It's always, you know, that's who they built the trust with, you know, so that's, oh, it's very fundamental. Pedigree. Right. Go ahead. Pedigree. Pedigree. And it's Experience. a partnership at the end. I mean, the agent partners with the brokerage and we have to hold up our end of the deal and the agent has to hold up theirs. So whatever they bring to the table, we are supporting every step as their partner to get to the finish line. So, you know, that's where the, the, the balance takes place where, yeah, is, the brokerage is important because they're going to have to deliver a lot as a full service broker. You know, they're, they're, they're going to have to deliver a, a full suite of services and one agent's not going to be able to do that. They're going to need the technology. They're going to need the PR. They're going to need the marketing. They're going to need the sales director. They're going to need research and, 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 and the analytics. All of that is part of the brokerage. All right. I came up with a game. I want to try it on you guys. Word association game. We've never done this before, but I think it could work. I'm going to say a word, and I want to hear from Bess the first thing that comes to her mind, or you can play too, Matt, either way, okay? So um, the, first the first word, and it could be anything. Right. All right. First word, Florida. Palm Beach. Pied a terre. Gone. <laughs> Sorry, we got the pied a terre tax. Sorry. Today I sent out an announcement that it was out of the bill and it was because of all the agents work and writing, you know, to their local lawmakers. So I'm super. Fantastic. So, so gone. Oh, Breaking news. I love wow. that. Burroughs I did not know that. You heard it here first. Yes. 
All right, co-op, co-op. Challenging. Mm. Brooklyn. Hot. Hot, I like hot. that. Hot, hot, very hot. New York Yankees. I hope they win. I don't know a lot about the, I know Aaron Judge. That's the only thing I know about the Yankees. And Mickey Mantle. <laughs> I mean, what else is there to know about the Yankees? The Mick, right? Sorry, <laughs> we gotta I, work on this. I don't know anything about this. sports very much. Sorry, sports is not my area. Ask me about fashion or music. I'm good in shows and stuff, but sports not. Matt just explained to me that we just placed four Yankees into their new homes. So we might want to work on that. And Mickey does not play with the team anymore. Oh, I knew, kind of knew that he passed okay. away. The Mick, Lou Gary too. Sorry. What about Hermes? Expensive. Interest rates. Low. The mayor's race. Interesting. That's it? That's what can I, you want me to, I just think, I hope everybody's paying attention. We have a lot of great uh, candidates that are running and uh, I hope people pay attention. We've been getting very involved. Um, I, love what, yeah. I love what you're doing. Yeah, we have more. We got Ray McGuire coming. That's fantastic. We have, we have more. I want everybody to know who's running. So then you can make an educated choice about you know, your next mayor, we need incredible leadership to bring us into the future. We need a powerful mayor controller. We need to make sure that we do, we, we get involved. We really have to get involved. Do we have any additional information on the city council seats and who those people will be? Yes. In fact, you should, with Rebney, they're giving us a lot. We're doing a lot of also zooms with all of those people because that remember the city council seats that determines the budget yep. so we have to make sure we get people that are going to help us and be pro new york we do not want to demonize the wealthy we do want them to pay taxes but we don't want to demonize people for that so we're trying to get a moderate platform moderate is always good yeah john central park west fancy Fancy. Very fancy. Very and Bono lives there. I love Bono. Right there. Sorry. Bono him. lives. He does. He lives at the San Remo. I love him. Yes. I can see I can see his window when the lights on. I was like, oh, he's here. Yes. Bono. Well, I saw him. He's he was out on that. He has outdoor, beautiful outdoor like terrace. And when there was another Dem Demi Moore apartment was for sale and I was yeah. touring it, he was out there at the same time when we were all out there. But yeah, he's pretty fantastic. I like him. New development. Getting busier. It's picking up new dev. All right. The High Line. Really special. Uh, I love the High Line. If you haven't been there, it's so worth taking a tour of and walking, especially now with the weather being like it is. It's got some great buildings. And then Chelsea Market, you stop off there and you go into Chelsea Market, you walk around, you get something to eat. It's got a vibe and then go to meatpacking. I mean, that area is where my next, where I want to live. I love it down there. It's fantastic, really. That's more than one word. Sorry. No, maybe you want Matt, maybe you want to play. I don't know. I feel like I'm taking over. All right, we got two more. Innovation. Okay. Innovation. Apple. Apple. Think of Apple. Yeah, whenever I think of innovation, I mean, I think that Apple to me is like one of those companies that I really admire. 
they're willing, you know, how they got everything together, their products, everything. It's so simple. It's very simple and it's just quality and everybody, it's just, I'm always impressed with what they do. I, and now they're, apparently they're getting involved with some sort of virtual reality, the camera, like they're investing in like all these different things. It's really, Tim Cook is really done a good job taking over, I think. See, this is great to know who you admire helps us understand you and this brand. So I love yeah. it. And only because you said it before we got on the call, St. Bart's. Uh, St. Bart's. Oh, it's my dream. <laughs> it's my favorite place to make if I, you know, it's a very, you know, it's expensive. It's not easy, but boy, is it a beautiful place with really lovely people and great food and it's a little jumper plane that I don't like from St. Martin to St. Bart's. It requires half a Xanax. But other than that, it's a great trip if you can do it. But it's it's expensive. But yeah. Well, Central Park West was fancy, but you didn't. It's fancy. So yes. Well, excited about Central Park West. Like Central, like Central Park Iowa. West. Yeah. The, they're all, there's, you know, if for all of the people that are on here who don't know New York and haven't been on the High Line, it's so, so worth taking a look. So with that, we could go in any number of directions. Do you want to talk about the market in New York now and the recovery? Because that is all over the news that um, if, if there was bargains to be had, you know, a few months ago, they're drying up quickly. Yeah, I mean, so what happened is, you know, the pandemic served as a bit of a catalyst to you know, correct some of the prices. So now those have adjusted. And even though we have a lot of supply, that those adjustment of prices has has really helped to move the market forward. And now in New York City, you know, it's busier than it has ever been. In fact, our March numbers were two times that they are usually in a non-pandemic market in the last like six years. So we're, you're just, there's a demand. People want to invest in New York. They want to be here. They're, they've come back from the Hamptons and, and, you know, Connecticut and Palm Beach and they're, they're, they're excited again. And so that's been really great for us because I would have never a year ago, I'm sure Roberto, you would say the same thing. A year ago, when we're in the middle of this pandemic, I was in lockdown with two teenagers watching movies every night, working from home and you couldn't even show. Would have never imagined that now we're in this, time where you can't where stuff doesn't stay on the market I, I would have thought it would have picked up and we'd be okay but at this level it's really like as I say we're the queen of the comebacks New York City is you know people try to write us off time and time again but there's only one city in the world like New York only one and it's really people are showing up big time for New York City I agree and I think that I really and I've been saying this since at least since the fall when it when we had an idea of when the when the vaccines were going to come and there was kind of a certain sense of an arc of where where we are now not that we are we'd be at this level but that everybody is going to try to scramble to get into place for the following year's school year um, and even companies a lot of companies you hear about they're not necessarily demanding that people come back or difficult to demand that someone comes back, but encouraging yeah. people to come back for September, such that there should be a lot of activity of people coming back and populating into the city for September. So I think it's going to be extremely busy through that time period. But well, you guys are busy. Can, sorry, Connecticut is also super busy. Uh, There's not a lot of supply, but you know, Connecticut has also been doing really well. 
you know, it's not like you guys have been asleep. It's been a very busy market for Connecticut. Sorry, Matt, didn't mean to. No, but I was saying it's, it's incredible to see that there were stats that came out recently that the, the postage reports are showing that there's more people change of address moving in than moving out in the month of April, which is the first time since the pandemic started like that. So if you're, if you're saying like, oh, have, have they, has this sort of left that, that idea of people sort of questioning uh, vertical living. I think everyone is, has, the who questioned have either left months ago or have now come back because the, 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 it's, it's now certainly moving in the direction of much more demand of, of wanting to live in a vertical lifestyle rather than you know, living in a, a suburban or vacation or rural area. I also think it's, sorry, I also just think it's, it's information. When this first all started, we had no idea. I mean, you'd be in the middle of Central Park and you'd be covering yourself because you'd think, am I going to get this? But you know that if you protect yourself and you go through the systems, we didn't have masks then. We didn't have gloves. There was nothing. Now, you know, you mask up, you go. And you can, we can work our way through this. I don't think there's ever going to be the level of fear that we reached, but just because of lack of knowledge. We also, we, we know a lot more now. So if this even happens again, I don't think it will be as severe. It's so true. We were, and also remember Roberto, unfortunately our country was totally unprepared for this. And that had a huge impact on everyone. It's like, nobody knew. I remember I was sitting in the office in March, not knowing about Matt, not knowing there was something coming. And I was like, what? And so because of, I mean, preparation is important. And so now everybody is aware and knows a lot more, but uncertainty is a killer for markets and it, and it hurt us incredibly. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people have lost their lives because of that. And, and hopefully we'll be much better in the future. So some of the anxiety in the suburban markets, and I would include the Palm Beach as well as Connecticut, Hudson Valley, is that the catalyst that caused New Yorkers to discover our markets, to move their hedge fund to Palm Beach, to try a second home in Connecticut. Now that the catalyst is gone, are these suburban markets going to return back to the way they were? Or have, or have New Yorkers permanently discovered some of these suburbs and... Um, and the suburbs will do just fine. What do you think? Probably, probably both. I think you're going to have some people who say, you know what, I'm go I'm staying in Palm Beach. It's, it's easier or Connecticut. And then some people are saying, you know, now I'm, I'm coming back. You're going to have a mixed bag of that because I know a lot of my friends were, you know, for example, in, in different parts of Connecticut or, or, or in the Hamptons and different places and they've returned, they missed the excitement. I mean, I remember one friend said, how much tennis and how much can I play? I miss the streets. I miss the vibe. I, I need to get back to New York. And I think there are going to be people that love that. And there are other people who are, who are, who are like, okay, I'm sticking with the suburbs. Um, but it's a mixture, but we're going to get new people here as well. Um, so I think you're going to be good in the burbs and, and good in the city. It'll be I think a, a lot thing. of a lot of things you're also seeing is first time home buyers are, are are just absolutely going crazy right now in these markets. Maybe the last 10 years, there wasn't an enormous amount of first time home buyers. There's a lot now. And then another factor that you have to put in is that a lot of people were all or nothing before they were. I'm either living in the city or I'm not living in the city. A lot of people now are saying I'm going to live a hybrid lifestyle where I'm going to maybe do it three days in two days out. I would love to have a second home, maybe downsize a little bit in the city and get something outside. 
there's a lot of that conversation taking place too. So I think that's going to be very beneficial to a, um, you know, a, a waterfront or a vacation home community, or even a suburban community like Connecticut, that's, you know, 50 minutes to an hour away. And you have that separation from an, an urban lifestyle. Yeah, I was I talking to either of you in a mid-century modern with a pool and a tennis court, maybe, uh, maybe Matthew, I could hook <laughs> you up and your well-heeled friends and second home out here. You have to talk to my wife about that one. <laughs> I was talking to a client just this morning who he was, he was telling me about a dinner he had with a bunch of colleagues and they were talking about, you know, he just moved to Florida, you know, for overwhelming number of reasons. And he was like, so I'm going to save, you know, 5% or something on taxes and, and do what? He's like, you know, I'm a New Yorker. I came here. This is what I do. Like bumping into you and running and doing this. And, and, you know, we came, we all came here for a reason. And that's why I want to be here. I mean, Cause he was, he was grappling when he's in a rental and he, he's got a good budget. He's like, do I buy a $5 million apartment or a $10 million apartment? Or do I go to Florida? He's like, I'm not going to Florida. You know, he's just not going to do it. Good for him. I mean, everybody's different, but it depends on what inspires you. I mean, look, our experiences are everything. And so we, it depends on where you want to be and what you want to be doing and what matters to you and everybody we're all, it's also different for every person. And that's what, you know, you guys all plug into and work with these people the best at you, you get that. This is the first time in, I think in the last several decades that we've had more real estate agents nationally than listings. I saw that. And I saw that in the journal. I saw that article. So how is the business changing with all these, all these would-be agents joining the business? Um, you know, how do we maintain quality? Uh, what does it mean to be a Brown-Harris agent, you know, uh, you know, when we have more agents than listings out there? Well, look, BHS has always been more of a graduate school for agents. I mean, we haven't, there's been plenty of times that agents have called us and although, you know, they're not ready yet. And so we would send them to different firms because we are a place where people usually come for the rest of their careers. And so look, uh, during this time, I think people look at those reality shows, which are so not reality. And they think, okay, so super easy. I can just um, you know, look cute, say some things. And I get like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like I don't even have to work hard. It's absolutely not what it's like. And I think people have gotten into the business thinking that it is, or you can do it part-time. Absolutely not. This is a full-time gig that requires your hundred percent focus. And you have to learn, you need market intelligence, you need technology intelligence, and the big one, the biggest of all emotional intelligence. Without that, you're not going to be a great at what you do. Um, and so there can be lots of agents, you know, we'll see what happens. I don't know how successful, I think the average agent makes less than $50,000 a year. Um, it's not an easy job. It's a hustle every single day and you have to be available and you have to understand what you're doing. And it's not something you can just show up and put a nice suit on and make a lot of money. It doesn't work that way. And I think people have that perception from television but it's absolutely, it takes so much work and study and, you know, data is not knowledge. You got to really like the best of the best are really in it all the time. And so I think those people, all those agents, I don't know how long they're going to last. Let's check in in a couple of years and see where they are. <laughs> Sorry, it's just my opinion. 
<laughs> I love that answer because I watch Selling Sunset and I think, oh, God, I love that what, show. what am I doing wrong? I love Never that show. I watched that with my daughter who's 18 and she was like, mom, is that really? And I'm like, no. I mean, those girls and then the two little guys who like run the, the firm, it's like everybody's like, they must have full makeup and stylists before. I mean, most of us are running around with kids and trying to do stuff. Nobody has time to do all that. We're busy. I mean, that's all show. That is all show, show, show. That is not reality at all, but it is entertaining. We asked your top agent in the Miami office mm-hmm. and we asked the, the agent in LA who just sold the $100 million Playboy Mansion. We said, is that what it's really like in the Miami and LA markets? Is everybody rich, beautiful, <laughs> and driving a fast car? And they both said, everybody is rich and beautiful and they're Ubering everywhere. <laughs> okay well two out of three right two out of three said, come on down so uh that's the difference with new york because you can be standing next to a billionaire and a homeless person and it all mixes in and nobody bothers you and it's a different like everybody integrates here it's like it is the melting pot the ultimate and, and there's pot. something good to be saying about you said that stat about more agents than listings what what i do like about it is is that you know, there will be that sort of, uh, you know, the strongest survive moment over the course of the next couple of years. But the intrigue of being a real estate agent, this, the sex appeal of being a real estate agent because of these shows on Bravo and such has drawn more of a younger population to this industry. And that's a good thing, because at the end of the day, there is going to need to be more advancement of how we do business in real estate. Honestly, you look at real estate 10, 15 years ago, it was a backward industry that needed some infusion of ideas and, and, and some technology to it. And, and that has happened because of the infusion of more younger talent into, in this industry. The good news is, is that only the good younger talent will survive over the next couple of years and you'll have better agents. You know, this works itself out. When, you're, if, when you only get paid when you do deals, only the strong ones stay in the industry. I mean, it's, it's easy that that stuff works itself out. That's great. So we're going to have a lot of good talent over the course of the next couple of years, figure things out and, and make this their career. And, and that's, I think that's good and healthy for this industry. And also, you know what? The one thing is that you always have to focus on the client's needs. If you ever keep, fo- it's like Warren Buffett always said, you focus on the playing field, not the scoreboard. And you just put your heart into that. You get in the zone and you focus on those things because if you're thinking about the money and I got to pay that, that's a loser uh, setup. You have to really focus on the client and what you're doing and all the fruits will come because of that, in my opinion. But Otherwise, every once in a while, every once in a while, you do have to look at the scoreboard just to say, how am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's okay. You can check. You can check, but that shouldn't be. That shouldn't be all, that shouldn't be what you're always doing. I, I know agents who only do that. And it's always like, they're always in the struggle. They're always in the struggle. No, and that's not good. It's like playing the masters and you don't look at the scoreboard till you're like at about 16. And then you're like, this is what I got to do to finish, you know? Another sports thing. Thanks, Roberto. Sorry. You're really killing hey, me Perfect here. timing. That was a nice plug, Roberto, for the masters. <laughs> I mean, of the masters. It's coming up. 
seems to me when my mother just started in this business back in the 80s, uh, there was a tendency to say, what is the company doing to promote, you know, in the newspapers and to get the word out there. But I want to talk about the world-class tools that Matthew and his team have put together for these agents. Can you talk to me about what agents are doing to get the word out there and how they're making use of the technology, how they're making use of the tools, how they're not, where are the opportunities? Can you talk about the tools, the marketing tools that, you know, because it seems to me the conversation has shifted that while there's still a little bit of us agents saying, hey, company, what are you doing for me lately? The company can now point to the agents and say, we've given you all the tools to do for yourselves. Are you making use of them? And are you referencing how to market listings or how to get listings and, and, and market yourself? Which either, either way to get the word out there, right? I just sent out a bunch of emails to let people know that this podcast was going on. And we put out a podcast because those tools are available to us. So I think, I mean, I think, John, I always speak with agents about this and I, it starts with where 83% of your business comes from. It's your sphere of influence. It's staying top of mind to them because it's not just the 600 people that you're sending something to. It's who those 600 people know. So that 600 becomes times, you know, 600, you know, like, and it, that's where your referral business comes from is that you stay top of mind to those individuals. They say, you know what, when that person that they know, know comes to them and say, do you know, do you have a real estate agent that you could recommend to me? Or I, I need someone to help me sell my place. They know top of mind, if you do your job right through social media, email marketing, prospecting by reaching out to them every once in a while, and then maybe some mass marketing on top of that, those, stru those structures always work if you have something of value to give to them. And that's what matters is that you will only watch that TV show if it's educational, entertaining. They will only read what you want to put out to them in a marketing strategy if it is something that's educational or entertaining to them. So always remember who your audience is and message them something that's going to actually want them to connect with. And then from there, you're going to be top of mind to them when they or someone they know has to make a decision about who they use as their real estate agent. Over time, that strategy has always worked. It has never failed. So that, that is what I would say to everyone. And that's what we build out. We build out a content strategy and we build out a strategy over each one of those methods. I learned in the, from, from the guy who sold the Playboy Mansion, I used to think, yeah, I just need to talk to my sphere of influence. He said that he spends most of his time making sure the whole world knows about his last success. He said, it's not enough to sell a $10 million property you got to spend a lot of time making sure everybody knows that you just sold a 10 million or 30 million or 5 million or $1 million property. And I think that we have the tools to do that now, but a lot of us just want to sell houses or just want to sell apartments. And it's, we're not comfortable uh, marketing ourselves and tooting our own horn. And I think that's one of the challenges is that you've given us the tools, but we still have to get comfortable being marketers. Well, John, I mean, that, that is also a answer that Gary Gold would give in, in LA. I mean, 
you know, I mean, that that is not the same. You go bring Ryan Surhan on here and ask him that same question. He's going to have a different answer. These individuals are um, one in a million, you know, and, and I'm, our answers are to people that are, you know, the, 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 the successful agent that is not an outlier, you know, and, and, and I think LA and, and Miami, they, they operate a little bit differently, a little bit flashier than, and then some other areas. I think we're a little bit more practical and strategic and surgical in our approaches. Um, you know, but yeah, if I, if I know an agent that has, uh, that type of, um, you know, personal brand, then yeah, we'll get a little flashy. We'll make a little splash, but a vast majority of them are not operating in that sense. Roberta. I just, the, it's just thinking that if people, it's the fear of actually stepping in to do it, but once you do it once it's just that much easier the next time and the next time and the next time. Uh, it's a matter of someone getting accustomed to literally hearing their own voice and under, because it's really, it's uncomfortable at first. And if you just get accustomed to that and just be yourself, you know, that's where people will read that, hey, you know what? They're not selling me anything. You know, they're not selling me a watch. They're telling me the time. They're telling me something. They're giving me information. Um, and, and, I and I trust that because it's, 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 it's honest. And, you know, uh, you know, I had a lot of trouble with that. I was trying to, you know, all my videos were, they never had any speech in them, right? Matt, they there was no words. And now I'm, you know, getting into a place where I'm just talking into the camera and, and finding my own voice and be realizing I just need to be myself. I'm not going to attract everybody, but there's going to be a, there's a lot of, there's enough people out there are going to say, hey, you know what? That guy's okay. But you, I mean, look at it in the way that you operate in your marketing, Roberto. You put out arguably the best quarterly newsletter of any agent that I've ever come across. And the reason for that is, is that the information you provide is of such value to the person that is reading it. You break things down, numbers, uh, your, your, your predictions, wh what, where the market is right now in ways that few have seen. So every time yours comes out, I guarantee your open rates are astronomical because people want to hear what you say because you put a lot of time and effort into crafting that message. And that's what's so important is that you're not just putting out stuff, messages just to hear your voice. You're putting it out because it's, it means something and people will listen to that because it's not just noise, it's of great value. And that's what's so important is that you know, so many people on social media will just put out some posts because they have to. You shouldn't do that. You should be putting out a post because it's a value and it makes sense because you're not wasting the time of someone's newsfeed with noise. There's so much damn noise out there. Eliminate the noise and only message to someone when it's a value to them. That's important. I that. <laughs> I've only known Roberto. I, I mean, there's there's 50,000 licensed agents in New York, and I picked Roberto long before we were in the same firm uh, because of that newsletter. I've still to this day never actually met him in person. I only experience you through uh, email, you know, and the screen. And I think that's the new dynamic. I mean, in the old days, you'd go to a town and you'd wander into the local real estate office and you might meet somebody face to face. 
But right now, I think the fact that we work together for the for most of the last year and we've never been in the same room together says a lot about the importance of electronic media. He's like Max Hedrum to me. <laughs> but when I see him, I'm going to give him a really big hug. <laughs> of course. <laughs> he doesn't know a lot of things about me. Like I don't, I, I'm not even wearing pants, but you wouldn't know that, Roberto. You wouldn't know that. But I know a lot about you. Boats. I mean, bow ties, bow ties. Well, so how would you two like to wrap it up? I know that when the real deal interviewed best, they said, so where are we going for the next five years? So why don't I ask the same question? Where are we going in the next five years? It's going to be interesting. I mean, nobody really knows, but you know, as far as real estate goes, I think the agent becomes even more important than ever. Uh, you're not getting rid of the agent. Technology is not going to take the place of an agent and what they do and what they provide, the service and their knowledge. I think that's going to become more and more important. And I think uh, the next five years for Brown Harris Stevens are going to be a nice organic growth with quality people, with new marketing and constantly changing with a very strong culture and a high quality brand. And I think if you're interested in being in the real estate business, this is the absolute best company that there is to be a part of. There's no doubt. If I was an agent, this would be where I work. Um, I trust people here. They're smart. The executives are incredible. Uh, Matt, everybody that's involved. And you know, it's like tennis. You want to play with somebody who's better than you. The absolute best are here. And you want to be in that environment where they focus on doing this the best that you can. It's not like a franchise or this or that. This is what we do every day. And this is for serious people about real estate. So I think the future is very bright, I think. And I, I've always said that real estate, th this industry is not for everyone, um, especially when it comes to marketing. Um, you know, and, and if you love this industry, if you love the people in it, you love uh, the, the homes and seeing different stories that are, are told inside those homes. If you love that and it's your passion, then you know, th th your next five years are gonna be great. You, know, you just gotta love what you do. And if you do, then then your next five years are okay. Because I honestly think that the markets, you know, especially in New York City, you know, all, things are, are, are looking optimistic. And I think we have a really good future ahead of us. And I think that the return to, um, you know, suburban living has arrived and is staying. It's not gonna be like three, four years ago where people are questioning whether or not they should be living in Connecticut. And, and, and where is the next generation coming from? In, in Connecticut, that's not happening anymore. There's a great demand and that's not going away. That's something to be optimistic about. I, and, and for the first time, I think in my career, I see an optimism, not only in New York City, which there always was, but in the suburbs as well. And that's, it's, that's great to know in the fact that we operate in both markets. That's great. I don't think there's anything more to be said after that. I mean, I, I'm getting the feeling, Matt, that there's no uh, selling Hudson River Sunset in our future. There's no spinoff TV show. When, when we talk about risky, risky brand strategies, that's not one of them? I, I think that reality TV is, is, you know, I know how much it costs for a production. They tell you when to arrive and this is what you're going to shoot. And, and then we're done with our shooting after that. If that's reality, then it's that's reality TV. 
Um, but yeah, that's not our future in any in any way, shape, or form. Well, you get good production value out of Roberto and I every right. week. The best. The best. So much fun with you guys. Bess and Matthew, thank you so much for your time. Thank, thank you, guys. You. Really Stay safe, job. everyone. We'll see you soon. Thank thanks, you so guys. Much.